Yelich sends one to right center and deep. Get up! Get up! Get out of here and go! For Yelich! He has tied the game with a booming home run. He got it all. Tied up 4-4 on a big home run the pitch. Ryan Braun sends it to right center and deep. Get up! Brewer fans, welcome to the Brewers Trilogy Podcast, the podcast for not only them diehard baseball fans, but also for those fans who enjoy cheering for a team that revolves around beer. My name is Tyler, aka T Plush, your host for the show. I'm a contributor for reviewing the brew for Fansighted and one of the founders of the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy Podcast. You can find all the work we do on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod. As always, I'm joined with good buddy Trevor, aka Sunshine Bender. You can find him on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. He is the host of our Packers Trilogy podcast, but as you know, is here to recap the Brewers vs. Tigers series. Before we get there, how are you doing today, buddy? (sighs) Man, the Brewers made the night a little bit better, but this Bucks series, I, I think I said it on this podcast just a few days ago that... Or no, maybe it was on the Packers one. I don't remember. But I said the Heat worried me, and they worried Scott and I. And now the Bucks are down 2-0, and that's not great news. I still think they can win the series. I'm not going to be all sky is falling like Scott is right now. Um, Scott's already talking to us about um, are you going to be fans of Giannis when he's not on the Bucks because he – thinks they're going to lose this series and Giannis is going to leave us. I, I'm i not that far yet, but those first two games were definitely tough. I am glad the Brewers were able to at least get one uh, against the Tigers in this series. Yeah, I agree 100%. One out of two ain't bad, and it's even better when you have new intro music. So shout out to you, Trevor, for putting that together. Uh, Per my request, I had you change it up a little bit and you gave me some shit for it. So I think it sounds really good. Honestly, you made me change the part that took the longest to figure out and it took the longest to figure out for the Packers one um, originally. But once I got to the Brewers one, I figured it out a little bit faster, but it's okay. I understand why you didn't like it. I was, I just like that when other podcasts do that little bit, like the Lockdown Podcast does that. I, I like when they do those things. So maybe we just need someone with like a radio voice to announce us before we start. Yeah, maybe we can hire someone off the street with a radio voice. We've already got the uh, radio image or facing down like usually like anyone on radio they always say they're just ugly that's where they're on radio not tv so we got that locked down don't worry well <laughs> I, I got a ourselves. tv face i know you i know i know you have a radio face but come on uh okay let's be real if you were gonna be a model you'd be a foot model <laughs> not a face model <laughs> all right no, let's get no hands hand my feet are ugly hand <laughs> Yeah, you do have like 
13 size shoes there, so <laughs> yikes. Thir- 13 wides, thank you. Even worse. Not helping your case here <laughs> at all. <laughs> all right, let's get into the Tigers series here. Game one was just pure disappointment, a 12 to 1 loss. That was a game in which Jocelyn Bloom and Full- Fulmer were on the mound, and both were really consistently pitching behind in the count just constantly 1-0, 2-0, etc. throughout the entire game. Lindblom ended up throwing over 100 pitches, 101. It's the first time that a Brewers pitcher has eclipsed that triple-digit mark this year. He did throw 60 for strikes. As I said, it was just those first couple. He was unable to get ahead in a count. And it was really the fourth inning that was devastating for him. His poor pitching finally caught up with him. Otherwise, from a Brewers' standpoint, the game kind of got blown wide open. We throw Justin Topa in there for two innings. He gives up a two-run homer. Phil Bickford just looked awful and ended up beating back-to-back Tigers players. (laughs) One of them, which was Jacoby Jones, who ended up fracturing his hand on that play and is most likely going to miss the rest of the season now. And then offensively, as you know, one run is very pitiful, and it came via Christian Yelich solo home run. And the Brewers continued to struggle with runners in scoring position as they were one of nine on that night. Game two, completely different story. That was an eight to five Brewers win. It was a rather rough outing for Adrian Hauser. He gave up three runs in the first inning, and it could have been worse, but it also could have been better at the same time. There was a controversial play where Luis Urias was trying to turn two, and Jonathan Scope just never slid into second and kind of ran right into him. It kind of looked like Luis Urias was trying to throw uh, the runner out at third as he looked him back on the play. Um, but he also had Miguel Cabrera running down the first baseline and could have very easily thrown him out if Scope would have slid. So ended up being no call there. Brewers only get one out. And then sure enough, right after that, the Tigers hit a ground rule double shortly after that, which actually saved the Brewers a run instead of two runs scoring on a normal double, only one run scored there. In the third, the Brewers got on the board with a three-run homer by Keston Hira. And then in the fifth inning, which was Adrian Hauser's last inning of work, he gave up another run, and the Brewers actually picked him up by responding in the bottom of the inning with a two-run RBI single by Narvaez that would eventually tie the game at 5-5. to Brewers pulled ahead in the seventh. They had an RBI sack fly by Sogard in the seventh and then got a two-run homer by Jace Peterson in the eighth. And then, of course, Josh Hader picks up the save. Very weird game from an offensive standpoint. The Brewers drew 11 walks and recorded five hits. So you do not see that very often, but you expect to win a game like that when you're getting on base as much as the Brewers did in game two of the series. But what were your overall thoughts on the series? I think you mentioned it. Definitely disappointing to start. Uh, That was a very frustrating and terrible game to watch. And then... Game two came around a little bit, but it was still weird. Like you mentioned, it wasn't it wasn't like a typical game where your office and offense is just on fire to score eight runs. No, it was five hits, and the only reason they scored eight runs is because the Tigers pitching gave up 11 walks. So that's going to be tough to prevent teams from scoring when you're letting people on freely like that that often. Um, it was a weird series. 
But after the first game, it was really nice to see the Brewers be able to walk away with a tied-up series. I will correct myself. It was actually six hits, so my bad. I forgot to count the Jace Peterson home run there. So six hits on 11 walks, though, still the same. And you mentioned slightly disappointing, like we I previewed it on the podcast beforehand. Like Everyone expected the Brewers to win this series against the Tigers. You know, they should be easy wins. But as we mentioned, not really the case. They were playing really good baseball coming into today. And the Brewers snapped their six-game winning streak with this win here on Wednesday night. So were you disappointed with how this brief little two-game stint went? Or overall, are you okay with them splitting one and one? I mean, they have a better record than the Brewers right now. They're 17-17. and 17. Uh, The Brewers are 17-19 and 19 currently. So, yeah, you would love to see this team be able to start making some hay a little bit. But, again, like you said, this Tigers team was playing really good baseball. um, And you hit them in their hot streak of the season or one of their hot streaks of the season. And you split. I think you kind of have to be happy with that. Um, This is, like we talked about, this is something that, those those pirate series are I think are really going to hurt the Brewers because you in seven games against the Pirates in the last week and a half or whatever that was you only win three of seven that really hurts like before that first pirate series you and I both said we need five we need five and they only won three and that hurts because then you get a team that's hot like the Tigers and you're only able to split because they are so hot. And it, you, it would have been really tough to win two in a row the way that they're playing right now. So, yeah, it's it's frustrating um, in terms of not necessarily this series, but kind of leading up to this series. I felt like the Brewers just need to play better, and hopefully they can turn it around. But we've kind of been saying that. You see the offense come around for a little bit. In the most recent Pirates series, it was more consistent. Three of the four games, the offense was there. You thought, okay, maybe they're coming around. And then, of course, first game of this series, just absolutely nothing. So I guess that was the most disappointing part of this series for me is just not helping Josh Lindblom at all in that first game. And, yeah, it was great to see those young guys, but also it was not very great to see them because they really struggled. Um, Like you said, uh, Phil Bigford was atrocious. He has currently on the year a 36 ERA. Um, uh, It's always good to see young guys, but also they were not good in that one. And it it was just very frustrating, I guess. And that's basically been this whole season of the Brewers because I was expecting them to be an above 500 team, a team with 32 to 36 wins. And that is just not the case. They are not anywhere close to that level of a team yet. And that's what's the most frustrating for me. Yeah, I completely get what you're saying 100% here. And coming into this Tiger series, I was really looking forward to seeing how Josh Lindblom and Adrian Hauser could do against this Tigers lineup because they've been pretty frustrating as of late. And they really, both pitchers, did not perform well at all. Sure, they both went five innings. But Lindblom gave up four earned runs. Hauser gave up five earned runs. Surrendered a ton of hits, both of them, between the two. 
So it kind of makes you question, you know, what's the Brewers' plan going forward? They have a lot of off days coming up here. They're off on Thursday, September 3rd. They're off on Monday, September 7th. And then they're off again on Thursday, September 10th. So kind of with how the rotation over the weekend is going to shake out, the Brewers could elect to skip one of these guys' rotation spot here and and then it would set up that one of them would pitch on Tuesday the 8th there. So if you had a preference here, which one of these guys would you rather see start on Tuesday, which would essentially mean the other guy is getting skipped here once in the rotation? And you're saying between Lindblom and Hauser, right? Correct. Both those guys have been struggling lately. And if you haven't listened to the... Wednesday version of Lockdown Brewers, Jack Stern was on that podcast talking about Adrian Hauser and why he is struggling. And it's not his pitches are bad. He's not it's not that he's not getting like the same velocity or spin rate or anything like that. It is his pick pitch selection. And that's what they kind of change his pick pitch selection and how often he is throwing certain pitch pitches and even though with that, I trust Hauser's stuff a lot more than I trust Lindblom's. So I would rather see Hauser on the mound because, yeah, he's not pitching as well as he was last year for basically the same amount of games. It was, you know, end of July through the end of the season, he pitched extremely well last year. So I just like the stuff of Hauser more, and I trust that his stuff is going to give us, you know, better outings more consistently than Josh Lindblom, who, you know, gave up four earned runs and Hauser did as, or Hauser gave up five this series, but I expect Hauser to be more consistent than Lindblom based on this year so far. And I mean, you look at their ERAs and that's not the end all be all, but you look at their ERAs this year, Hauser, 4.97, 4.97, not great, but Lynn Bloom is struggling immensely this year at 6.46, so I'd much rather see Hauser take that start and let Josh hopefully try to figure something out and figure out how to keep runs from crossing the plate because he has not been good at that at all this year. I agree with you when I say I trust Adrian Hauser's stuff more than Lynn Bloom. I agree there, and that's kind of interesting. I didn't know Jack Stern was on that podcast here. Hopefully he remembers the guys who got him started in his podcasting debut. <laughs> that would be us. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, um, I'm looking at StatCast here, and of course these were before Adrian Hauser's start tonight. Looking at his just his mix of pitches, he's thrown the sinker 46% of the time this year, four-seamer 18 Slider 13, changeup 11, curveball 10. And I know they mentioned it a ton on the broadcast tonight during Adrian Hauser's start that it seems like those breaking balls is when he's getting hammered the most. Well, sure enough, if I look at here in 67 sliders that he's thrown so far in 2020, opponents are slugging 867 against that pitch. You go to his changeup, which he's thrown 57 times. Opponents are slugging 500 against that pitch. And even his four-seamer has a slugging percentage above 550. So that is not great news um, for that for those kind of pitches. And it kind of just makes you wonder, mm-hmm. well, d- does he change and go more heavy or sinker? I don't know. I mean, hitters are still slugging so, his, sli- or his sinker quite well. 
So the thing that Jack Stern said was he prefaced it by saying, you know, typically what happens is teams will tell their pitchers to lean in towards their best pitch, throw that pitch more often. Um, but he was making the opposite case for Hauser. His sinker is his best pitch that he has. So, you know, the Brewers told him to lean into it, throw it more often this year, and it hasn't really worked for him. Like I said, he hasn't been that same pitcher that we saw at the end of last year. But Jack Stern was like, he was pitching, I can't remember the numbers exactly, so don't quote me, but it was something like throwing 30, 32% sinkers and like 28% fastballs, and that combination and then the rest would be like sprinkling in, you know, the change up, the slider, those things. But the combination of the sinker and the fastball was what was getting him out. So the sinker was getting him weak contact ground ball type stuff. And then he elevated the fastball. And that combination of those two pitches really helped him. And that fastball was what the what he was striking pitchers or hitters out on. So I 100% agree with that. Like, to me, if you're a sinker pitcher, I think you pair your sinker with a fastball. That makes the most sense to me. The fact that he is throwing his fastball at just like 18% this year, I'd, I feel like that makes the sinker a lot less effective. And he's throwing the sinker a lot more, which that that definitely doesn't help your hard hit percentage, your whiff percentage, all of that, all of those things that he was so good at last year. I think this has really led into that and then not throwing the fastball as as much and not using it off the sinker as much I think has made his fastball worse at the same time so I I do think there is some logic there but like Jack said typically you want to lean into your best pitches but right now it's just not working for Adrian because I do think his fastball complements that pitch so much and throwing that just 18% of the time is not helping him. And I think that could be a big change. You, you called the Josh Hader and his sliders last year, Adrian Hauser throw more fastballs. <laughs> well, all right. I'll take your call on that. Uh, for the reference here, Je- or, uh, Adrian Hauser threw 31% fastballs in 2019, 18 this year. So those are the numbers you were looking for. And that obviously brings his sinker up 10% from 2019. And StatCast here has his listed as a four-seamer, but it really behaves more as a two-seamer, like it dives in to those right-handed hitters and has good movement on it. So I completely agree with what you say and how that can complement that sinker. And yeah, complementing those two together makes a ton of sense. So it'll be interesting to see if he makes any adjustments coming up here in September. Other news from the series, we had a new leadoff hitter, (laughs) big shocker. (laughs) This time it was Ben Gamble in the leadoff hitter. A lot better results than what Luis Urias had in the previous series. Gamble goes one of six, draws three walks, and had two strikeouts. I think probably a big reason why he got put in the leadoff spot was because he, hey, he was on our honorable mention list last time. He was on a pretty good hot streak there, reached base eight times in a row at one point. So well-deserved there, although even though his results have been pretty mixed so far throughout 2020. So I just have to ask, what would you think of what Benny G did in the leadoff spot this brief two-game series? 
I mean, for our leadoff spot, getting to the plate nine times, getting on base four of those times, only one hit, but the three walks is big. The way our lineup has been going, that is a win because that's on base. That would be just over a 400 on base percentage. So that's pretty good. (laughs) Like you can't really complain about that. And obviously super, super tiny sample size. But I do think the way he's been going at the plate, a really good eye recently and has been hitting decently. If you combine this with the last series, you kind of have to ride the hot hand because there's no Lorenzo Cain this year. There's there's no legit kind of leadoff guy that you can lean on. So you kind of got to go with the hot hand. And I completely understand what Craig Council is doing here with putting Ben Gamble in that spot for this series. I, I did not hate it at all. Yeah, I agree. I thought it actually made a ton of sense. I don't know how long it will last for. Uh, We'll have to see on that, but I'm sure it's definitely going to change a million more times throughout September here. Speaking of things that are changing, there was an article that was released that basically highlights how and why Devin Williams is the best reliever in baseball this year. Obviously, it talks a lot about his changeup, and we've talked about it a lot on this podcast, But it got me to thinking, like, before the season, there was the big debate, you know, should Corey Knable be the closer or should it be Josh Hader? Some believe Josh Hader is better off in the 7th, 8th inning, multi-inning roles than Hader could close the door because they just, for some reason, didn't believe Josh Hader was a closer. Well, now we have Devin Williams coming out, who's arguably outpitching Josh Hader. I'm just kind of curious, what are your early thoughts on should Devin Williams be the closer? Is there a case for that, or am I just making stuff up here? Honestly, in my opinion, I don't think it matters. Like, I think you could make a case for Devin Williams as the closer, but if you have a one-run inning, or one-run one run inning, a one, one-run game going into the eighth inning, I don't care if you throw Hater Williams or Williams Hater. Really don't care. I am fairly confident that the Brewers are going to come out victorious. So in that way, it really it really doesn't matter to me who has the eighth and who has the ninth. I think just from, you know, two-time reliever of the year, and he's blown one save, has not given up a hit all year, I think Hader needs to lose that job. But, you know, Williams is pitching better than Hader. He's the best reliever in baseball. He, he'd be a closer on any other team. But Josh Hader is still very, very good. Like, don't get that twisted at all. Josh Hader is still all-star Josh Hader. I don't know if they're giving awards out this year like they normally do, but he's not going to be NL reliever of the year because that's Devin Williams at this point, and it's not even close. Um, you shared that article with me, and I just thought that was absolutely incredible some of the stats and things that were in that article were just unbelievable. First off, some of the expected values on his just from him are incredible. Expected ERA, 99th percentile. Expected batting average against, 99th percentile. Expecting slugging percent, um, that is 98th percentile. In whiff percentage, the 100th percentile. In K percentage, 99th percentile. Exit velocity, 96th percentile. Just absolutely incredible stuff. The only thing that wasn't in the great category, 
Um, for that was barrel percentage at 66, which is between average and great. So let's call it good in, in terms of barrel percentage. But then you think barrel percentage 66, he's probably getting quite a few people to get some hard hit balls. Nope. Only, he's in the 88th percentile for hard hit percentage. So just it's just incredible what he's doing. Um, he's got a strikeout rate of 52.7%. And just in case you're wondering, Josh Hader's at 39.5%. I am just like dumbfounded by how good he has been. It's absolutely incredible. Um, it is so fun to watch. I When I was watching him pitch tonight, I was trying to like figure out how he does the change up and reading that article you sent me helped me because he like the way he throws it is super weird. His, I won't get all nerdy. I won't do the technical terms, but his wrist is completely upright and it like he twists it all the way back around. So that's how he gets that movement into a right-handed hitter. And then being a changeup, it drops off the table. And he is the only pitcher in the MLB to have top five movement on his changeup, both vertically and horizontally. He's number one for horizontal movement and that's, weird release where he like rotates his wrist a ton um, is how that happens. That's how he gets that movement and that high spin rate to be able to do that. And then in terms of his vertical movement, he's third. Like I said, he is the only guy that's on both of those lists. And that explains why that change up is so unhittable. And recently, like the last couple weeks, it has been like, 13 changeups to three fastballs every time he's been out there. And you still have to respect the fastball because it's 96, 97, at times 98. So you still definitely have to respect that. But the fact that he drops that in there and you know it's coming, you're like convinced it's coming and you still can't touch it because the movement is that crazy. He has good location with it too. Like it's incredible. He always keeps it down. And when he's up 0-2, he'll keep it off the plate, too. So it makes it even harder to hit. I just, I am dumbfounded by his changeup. And if he's able to continue this, we have the best back end of the bullpen with these two right now. And if he's able to continue this, we're going to have the best back end of the bullpen for as long as we can keep these two on the team. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And, you know, especially think if Corey Knable can get a resurgent, probably not this year, next year. Uh, that just adds to even more depth that they have at, at the back end of this bullpen. So it, I think you mentioned it on a previous podcast a few weeks ago. You're like, Devin Williams, we got a setup or a high leverage man reliever for many years to come with him. And this article, as you said, just completely highlights everything that supports that statement. So I'll make sure I leave the link for that article in the description of this podcast. Again, that was not produced by any of us. It was done by some very smart baseball, stat-casted, very-minded people. So it is a very good read, though. Sorry, one more thing. And the, the fact is that they post a lot of like stuff from the Pitching Ninja on Twitter. And Devin Williams is all over his Twitter account. And not only what he's doing on the field, the fact that that guy can't get over how ridiculous his stuff is. And in one of the little posts from the Pitching Ninja on this article, 
is a the show that release that I was talking about. So make sure you watch that. And then they also show an overlay of a 97 mile an hour fastball with an 85 mile an hour changeup starting at the same spot. The fastball ends about the belt and the changeup ends at the shins. It is just absolutely incredible. And I cannot get over how crazy of a pitcher Devin Williams is. And I can't believe that I am honestly saying that Josh Hader is not the most dominant reliever and we have the dom- most dominant reliever. It's it's crazy to think about that we have probably the two most dominant pitchers in baseball, or at least out of the bullpen on our team. And that's just that's just a great feeling. And it proves to myself how great this core is. And I, I thought about this over the weekend. Um, I think it was after the loss against the Pirates. But... The core of this team is really good, and that's why I didn't want a lot of movement at the trade deadline because I wanted this core together. You think of the pitching core, you think uh, Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns in the starting rotation, and you have pieces that could maybe make a case for the starting rotation. Adrian Hauser, Freddie Peralta stand out there. Um and then you have these two in the back end of the bullpen. There's other guys that could maybe join them that are a little bit younger, but we haven't seen that out of them yet. Um, and then you think of the offense. you got Keston Hira. You've got Christian Yelich. The core big pieces are here. We just need a little bit more consistency from everyone, and we need those guys to all perform at the same time because that's that I think is the biggest reason the Brewers are under 500 at this point because yeah we've seen it from Devin Williams we've seen it from Josh Hader we've seen it from Corbin Burns we've seen it from at times with Brandon Woodruff but we have not seen it from the offense and and that's that's the issue this year that is the biggest issue and Keston Hira and Christian Yelich are I think a big reason of that is why the Brewers are struggling, especially offensively. Oh yeah. Let's, well, we could do a whole podcast again on Yelich in here and maybe we should just uh, bump them into gear here, or maybe you'll put one of them as your series dud. So let's transition into that here. The series MVP. And the series dud. Who do you want to start with first here today? Well, we're going to do MVP, um, and because I just spent probably 10 minutes just, like, giving, basically crowning Devin Williams as the best reliever in baseball, um, I'm not going to pick him because we spent a lot of time talking about him, but I'm, I'm going to surprise you here because I'm going to pick Christian Yelich as my MVP, and the reason for that is with... Kind of the end of that pirate series, he you felt him starting to come out of the the slump a little bit. You saw him kind of be Christian Yelich, and then this series, you were hoping for more of that. And granted, the three times he didn't get on base for strikeouts, which is a little bit frustrating. But two for five, he did have the home run. But the big thing for me is his eye is back, like he knows where the strike zone is, and that's when he was so good is he wasn't swinging at anything outside the zone, and I felt like he struggled with that a lot this year, and he struck out more this year than he had been in the last two years. 
And a big part of that was he he seemed to be chasing pitches quite a bit. And he did not do that in this series. He steals a couple bases. Offensively, I don't think there was a ton of great, great performances. But I do think Christian Yelich is coming out of it. And I saw it big time in this series that maybe I had, didn't see the huge production from Christian Yelich that we're hoping for. But I saw the old Christian Yelich at the plate when I was able to watch him at the plate. I saw the old Christian Yelich, and that's got me really excited. And maybe it doesn't deserve series MVP, but I don't care. It's our podcast. We make the rules, and I make this pick, so it's Christian Yelich. <laughs> I respect your decision, and it's really hard for a two-game series. I think this is the first time all year we've had to pick an MVP off two games. So uh, mine and I already talked about earlier, and that's Ben Gamble as our leadoff hitter. One of six, which isn't too impressive. That one hit, he, I think it was in game one, he was trying to stretch a single into a double and ended up getting thrown out, but did draw three walks and just continues to find ways to get on base. And even his, like, he's making good contact even when he's just flying out. So I think that kind of like what you said with Christian Yelich, it's a way to, to prove that he's just seeing the ball well and seeing it good right now. Who do you got for a series dud? You did it last or last series. I'm going to do it this series. I'm going to do co honors here, or not really honors, but you know what I mean. Um, and that's going to be the starters, Josh Lindblom and Adrian Hauser. They did not have good outings at all. There's no two ways around that. Uh, both got five innings into the game. Lindblom gave up six hits. Hauser gave up nine. Lindblom, three walks. Hauser, one. You know, Six strikeouts between the two and four earned runs for Lindblom, five for Hauser. That's just straight up not getting it done. And we need better from that, especially when our offense is not giving us enough. And that's been the case all year. But that was a struggling performance from those two. So that is who I'm going with with my co-duds. Yeah, respect that decision. I was going to do Lynn Bloom as my honorable mention. My series dud is Phil Bickford. Like, that was the worst inning of baseball I've ever watched. Gave up four hits. Being two Tiger batters on back-to-back in a game in which the Brewers were already losing by a ton of runs. And then Jonathan Scope had already been beamed by Josh Lindblom earlier that game. Like, if that was against the Cubs or the Cardinals, benches would have been cleared. And I know it wasn't intentional or anything, but his pitching performance literally made me walk away from the TV. And I I didn't even get to watch Orlando Arcia pitch in the ninth because I was just so pissed at what Bickford put forth. So... Although he probably won't be on the team for much anymore, he's getting a big fat dud for me in this series. That, that poor guy just made his MLB debut. He has a 36 ERA, and you just, just <laughs> no, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Nope. Oh, God. I mean, hey. it, was a, it was a terrible performance. And the fact that he hit him, like, in basically identical spots, too, was... Yeah, that that was that was rough to watch. I will be honest with you. I did the same thing. I turned the TV out. I don't even think I made it through that inning. Ugh, yeah, that was 
That was gross. I could have came and pitched off the street better than what he did. Not really. I'm just kidding. Baseball is an extremely hard sport. (laughs) I would not have hit the players. I probably would have gave up about eight home runs, but I would not have hit them. (laughs) So the Tigers would have appreciated that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. If I would have hit them, it also would have been like. 68 miles an hour so (laughs) Eh, that might even be rounding up there i'm gonna give you 60 (laughs) we need to find a some place where i can prove that i can throw faster than 60 miles an hour Uh, watch you dislocate your shoulder on the first pitch that's probably what'll happen (laughs) (laughs) all right let's move on we got the cleveland indians coming up here and this is going to be a doozy of a weekend series. We're going to have Burns versus Carrasco, Woodruff versus Cavalli. Yes, Woodruff will be back. And then Brett Anderson versus Shane Bieber on Sunday. So the Brewers are coming into an uh, Indians team here who really offensively is kind of in the same boat as the Brewers. They're near the bottom in just about everything, team batting average, team slugging, team OPS, etc., But when you go to the pitching, that's where the Cleveland Indians excel. They are the second-best team in terms of Team ERA. They have five team shutouts, which is tied for the best in the majors with the Marlins of all teams. They're the second-best in recording strikeouts just behind the Reds. They've allowed the least amount of walks in the MLB, and then they have the best whip of 1.05 as a team. So with that being said... What are you looking for in this Cleveland Indians series? I mean, you look at that team whip. Essentially, when you round one base runner per inning, that's going to be pretty tough to score runs unless you're hitting home runs to score against this team. That is that is definitely tough, and that does not bode well for the Brewers. You know, you just mentioned the Brewers struggle offensively and this is not a pitching staff to be struggling against because I feel like they're just going to make them look horrible. So we need to see some signs of life from the offense and two, three, one runs might win you most games in this series. So just stringing an inning together of a walk and a home run, a walk, a and two base hits and getting a run in that way. Like you're just going to have to scratch and claw for everything against this pitching staff, but we need something from this offense because I, you mentioned that their offense struggles. So I feel like our pitching staff is going to keep us in games, but our offense still needs to score, you know, two, three runs a game for us to be able to win here. And I don't think it's going to take much more than that against, again, a struggling offense with, our pitching staff, which isn't as nearly as good, but it's still the best part of our team at this point is the pitching staff. So hopefully the offense can come alive for a couple games in this series. I don't expect it, but hopefully Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, at least in the first two games, can keep us right there through five, six innings. And then, you know, getting to our bullpen, that that's a tough proposition for any team, especially um, the Indians here. So I, I just think the, the offense, the sticks need to come alive here a little bit. And by come alive, I seriously mean three runs in the first 
two games. If we get three runs in the first two games, we win those first two games. That is a huge, huge win for this year and moving forward. And then you have two against the Tigers after this. I think that's a huge win, and that's what we have to look for because I don't expect these Brewers bats to be able to go out and score six to eight runs like they did in the Pirates series and in the second game of this series. That We just need to score when we have opportunities to score, and that's going to be the big thing. Can they actually do something with runners in scoring position and really rely on that small ball because these pitchers aren't aren't going to give you those meatballs. Keston Hira said it when he was mic'd up in the second game of the Tigers series. Hang them, you bang them. He said that a couple times to um, Jace Peterson, I think. And, well, these guys aren't going to hang them, so you got to get your runs the hard way, get base hits, get on from walks, and score by stringing base hits together. So, Hopefully that's something they're able to do, and that's definitely something I'm going to be watching is what can the offense do. Yeah, you nailed it right on the head with runners in scoring position. It's just been dreadful this year, and like you said, got to make the most out of your opportunities. For me, I'm really looking forward to Sunday's game. We're going to get a treat in watching Shane Bieber pitch. I really wish it would be Brandon Woodruff matched up against him just to see those two battle it out. But Shane Bieber has been on fire this year. 6-0, and which pitching record, whatever. But in 52 innings, he has a 1.20 ERA, .82 whip, and is setting MLB records in strikeouts. Through his first 50 innings, he struck out 82 batters. He's in the 98th percentile in whiff rate and the 99th percentile in strikeouts. So if you're looking at strikeouts, his like K per 9 ratio or strikeout percentage here is just under what Devin Williams is doing, but this guy's a starter. He's pitching a lot more innings. He's got a good mix of five pitches, uses a fastball cutter and curveball primarily, and while a fastball isn't super fast, low to mid-90s, he's got great command. He's going to paint the corners, and while it's going to be tough for the Brewers' offense, like you mentioned, it's going to be great as a baseball fan to watch this guy pitch. He's definitely one of the hottest pitchers in baseball this year, and Hopefully the Brewers can do enough against them, as you mentioned, to eke out a win. But we'll have to see on that. Do you have anything else before we get out of here for the night at all? Outside of any series that I get to see Corbin Burns pitch, I am extremely excited for and see if he's, I think I talked about it the last series recap, if he's able to continue this last like three starts he's been on of just solid pitching kind of know what we're going to get out of Corbin Burns let's keep that uh trend going here and keep seeing solid pitching outings from him because I think at this point his ERA is under three and ERA wise again not the end all be all but that would be the best for our starting rotation so we need to keep him going as well as get Woody back to that ace level material yeah most certainly so We will be back after Labor Day, hopefully. (laughs) Trevor and I are talking about this before the air. We have a wedding on Sunday of all days, and when we get together, we normally party pretty hard. So Monday, how we're feeling will depend on if we're going to record or not. Hopefully, we'll get something out for you uh, for Tuesday. 
Uh, if not, then we'll just be back after the Tigers series. So we might exercise a rest day here, a rest series for us, but we'll, we'll see. We'll keep you guys in the loop to as what's going on in terms of an Indian series recap. But until next time, we will talk to you later, Burr fans. Justin Burns. <laughs>